damn, let's talk some shit. It's Polly Siegel and Victoria Aaron, two licensed therapists who've spent way too much money on degrees, certifications, and trainings. Mm. We both love what we do and couldn't imagine working in any other profession, but we're forced to be serious all the time, and that gets boring. Shit Talking Shrinks discusses important mental health topics, the human experience, and society at large, while poking fun along the way. It won't be all fun and games because after every episode, you'll walk away with tangible tools to navigate life more effectively. We love a tangible tool. This episode is sponsored by Joyous. Okay, I have to tell you about this incredible company, Joyous. It's an at-home ketamine treatment that delivers ketamine to your door for $129 a month, which is absolutely unheard of because most ketamine treatment is hella expensive. And what ketamine does is it helps our prefrontal cortex work more optimally. And the prefrontal cortex helps with decision-making, problem-solving, emotional regulation. It's the part of the brain that gets us through hard shit. And so if you're someone who has struggled with anxiety and depression and you've tried antidepressants or you've tried mood stabilizers and they haven't helped, ketamine is absolutely the next step. And I have seen my clients thrive while using ketamine. Joyous makes it super easy to access this life-changing medicine, and you can start the process by visiting www.joyous.team. Hello, everyone. We have another fabulous guest, Sarah Baldwin, who's joining us all the way from California. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much. Totally. So I want to, you know, we, as everyone knows, we pick our guests very intentionally because we want to feature folks that have really specialized niches are really experts in the area that they talk about. And so today we're going to be talking about polyvagal theory, how to regulate the nervous system. And Sarah is a somatic experiencing practitioner, as well as a trauma trained life coach and has a practice out in LA and really helps individuals to kind of work through I think just nervous system barriers, correct me if I'm wrong, but really I would imagine people that are in that hyper arousal state or hypo arousal state and helping them get back into their window of tolerance and be able to live their best life. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. Well, it's not interesting. It's really frustrating. (laughs) Interesting might be a politically correct way of saying it. It's really frustrating to me that we learn so many things throughout our lives not that that's a bad thing, but you know, in schooling, I've learned so many random facts I've never again used, like the difference between a cumulus cloud and a stratus cloud. I'm not sure what that is, but I know I learned it in third grade. <laughs> and trigonometry, and calculus, and how to drive a car. We learn all of these things, and yet no one teaches us about the vehicle that lives inside of us called our autonomic nervous system that is literally responsible for our thoughts, our behaviors our feelings, the sensations we have, how we perceive ourselves, others in the world around us. It's responsible for our whole experience. And no one teaches us how to be in control of this vehicle that lives inside of us. And as a result, it's as if it goes on cruise control. That means that our nervous system is guiding the way instead of us. It's never trying to harm us, trying to protect us. But it's just fascinating to me that no one teaches us about the system. So the work I do is to teach people about it and then how to gain control of it and speak to it in a way that it understands. And in doing so, we resolve trauma, which then allows us to step into the life that we're wanting. 
I'm really glad you brought up the shortcomings of society and their teachings because we also weren't taught effective communication, which is one of the greatest life skills that we use every single minute, moment to moment. And people don't know how to communicate, let alone, like you said, really be able to regulate their system that keeps balance and homeostasis and equilibrium, which is imperative for survival, but not just survival, also being able to thrive. So how did society fuck us so good? Something that I think is problematic is the, really the whole, I'm doing modern in quotes, air quotes right now, the modern mental health system, call it so modern, because what really happened beginning with Freud is, and it's been colonized. I mean, it's, there's a lot of amazing things about mental health, but there's a lot of problems. And one of the problems is lots of times, a lot of research and information stays in institutionalized container where people like you and I know all of these things. And the books on my shelf are written for people like you and I, meaning people in helping professions. It is not made mainstream. So, you know, what frustrates me is that our field hasn't done a better job about reaching people and speaking to people in the way that they understand and want to be spoken to. And so, you know, we have this systemic issue of like people watching, I don't know, what are the like Real Housewives? No problem watching that. But my point is like, we have the Kardashians and women going to fancy restaurants that the world knows, and yet the world does not know about something much more important than that which is the system that's responsible for our ability to literally have a joyful, happy life or not. And so I think like our profession, I think has a lot of ownership in that of not speaking to people in a way that isn't boring, isn't uh, feel like you're back in school again in a way that you want to fall asleep. And so part of what I care deeply about is really how do we take this very complex information and make it tangible in a way that's approachable and not boring and accessible. Yeah. So what you're saying is you feel like the nervous system is more important than Kim K's giant ass. Is that what you're saying? I'm pretty sure. I suppose there could be someone who says that's not true. (laughs) But I am pretty sure that that is the case, you know, and people just don't know. So instead, what we do is we find ways to cope and cover up our dysregulation. For example, I really believe the whole term happy hour or this like thing that happens between 4 and 6 p.m. where you get a $5 drink is really built upon, I will give you something to cover up your dysregulation. Yes. People have a stressed out, hard day. I'm going to go to happy hour. All of these businesses monopolized on people's dysregulation that they don't know how to regulate. So instead, I can do this thing to cover up the dysregulation or I can scroll Instagram, watch TV, shop, eat, exercise. None of those things are inherently bad, of course, but we're using them to cover up the dysregulation instead of actually resolve it. So for people that don't know this term dysregulation, when you say a regulated state versus a dysregulated state, walk us through what that means. Yeah. Okay. So inside of each of us, we each have something called an autonomic nervous system. Actually, every mammal has them. Sometimes us humans like to think that we are superior to animals, but we're an animal too. So all mammals have this autonomic nervous system. And I think of it like our protective nervous system. It's one component of it's 500 million years old, just to give people a sense of like, holy shit, this is an old system. And the system has evolved really well to keep us safe. That's its whole job, to keep you safe and alive. I think of the autonomic nervous system 
like a special ops team. And every member has a different job on the team, but they have one primary mission. Our nervous system is the same way. There's many members and they all have different jobs, but there's one primary mission. And the whole mission is to keep you safe and alive at all costs, no matter what. That's its number one goal. So the first line of defense in our special ops team, our nervous system, it's called neuroception. And so think about like a threat detector. It lives in our brainstem. And for anybody who's ever felt like I'm broken, I'm lazy, there's something fucked up, there's something wrong with me. I really hope what I'm about to say shows you, because this is what neuroscience says, how extraordinarily perfectly working you are. So we have this threat detector. It looks out into the world every single millisecond of our lives, which I don't actually know. I've never counted a millisecond, but it's very fast, everybody, faster than a second. So it's looking out into the world and it's saying this. Is that safe, dangerous, or life-threatening? Is that safe, dangerous, or life-threatening? Is that safe, dangerous, or life-threatening? Every millisecond of our lived experience, it has been doing that. It never stops. So it's right now, it's listening to both of our voices and saying yours is from whoever's listening. And it's saying, is that safe, dangerous, or life-threatening? Is the color of the tree in front of me safe, dangerous, or life-threatening? Is the way that that person tilted their head and has not responded to what I'm saying safe, dangerous, or life-threatening? So the way that it decides what is safe, like how is it making its decision? Well, we each have what I think of like an internal database, like think of it like a computer system. It has every lived experience you've ever had in there. You don't have to remember them. They're in there. The threat detector looks to the database for information to decide if our current experience is safe or not. So here's a very simple example of two experiences. Let's say, so I'm looking out my window right now and there's this beautiful tree I look at a lot. And immediately as I look at that tree, I feel good. Well, why is that happening? Because my threat detector looked to a tree and it says, what data do we have on a tree? And as it looked inside my database, it said, wow, I grew up in the woods. So the woods were my safe place. Like that's where I went to be safe. So in a millisecond, the threat detector says, oh, the coast is clear. It's safe. So it's like it's talking to the rest of the nervous system because it's in charge. And it says, coast is clear. Team Ventral, we need to call you in. So think of that like one of the special ops team members. Ventral, so it's called our ventral vagal complex. This is our state of regulation. So we only go here when our threat detector says we're safe. It's decided we're safe. That all happens subconsciously. And when we come into regulation, it's like for those of you that are just listening, you can't see me, obviously. I'm putting my hands at my side. So imagine at each of your side, there's a team ventral standing next to you. If the team is standing at my side, that means that I am safe to be exposed. I'm safe to flow down the river of life. I'm safe to be seen, known, take up space, to be present because my nervous system has decided the threat detector that I'm safe. So as a result, when we're in our ventral vagal complex, we experience things like peace, presence, safety, joy, contentment, curiosity. Everything feels just right. I have just the right amount of energy in my body. I am present to my entire experience. This is where joy and play and sexuality lives and creativity, all of the things that we are wanting in life live in our ventral vagal complex. And so really, I believe the number one reason for our suffering is because we're not spending enough time in this state. That is really the answer. We see this, right? People who have all the material things, even the career, the purpose, they've got the family, they've got the purpose, they've got the finances but yet they're not able to enjoy all of them. And that's because they're not spending enough time in this state of what's called regulation. So that's why we experience regulation. 
I really believe the whole goal that anyone goes to therapy is because they're not spending enough time there because it doesn't feel good when we're not there. And remind me the name of the special ops team that allows you to be in that regulated state. That member of our special ops team, it's the first line of defense. It's called neuroception. Think of that like a threat detector. So think of it like there's one person that stands in front of you that's like, I've got this. I'm going to look, be the first to look out. I never sleep somehow. And I am always looking out to see if you're safe or not. Neuroception is a term coined by Stephen Porges, the scientist behind polyvagal theory, which I think is also cool that people can just make up names. They just made that word up. So that's basically the bouncer at the club. It's the bouncer at the club and they are really, really good. Here's the other thing everybody needs to know. They never get it wrong. 10 out of 10, they're always getting it right. Now, they might be getting it right based on something in the past, not something in the present. But they're never confused. They're not like, well, I don't know. I don't know. Is this safe or not? They're always very certain and don't have the ability to get it wrong based on some kind of information that they're finding. I can expand upon that because they might get it wrong based on meaning the danger might actually be happening in the present moment, but they're perceiving danger based on the past. That's regulation. That's the goal that we're all looking for. That's what we all want more of in our lives. That is really what I believe is the primary reason for lots of human suffering. So here's the thing about this threat detector. Remember, we have this whole database of our past experience. That means in there are all the good things you've ever experienced, but in there are also the bad things, the traumatizing things, and we know there's generational things in there, be it generational trauma. So Here's another example of how this threat detector might work. Let's say that I get an email from, I don't know, let's say you get an email from your boss and the email lacks punctuation and it just says something like, hey, we need to talk. Are you available tomorrow at 10 a.m.? Let me know if that works for you. And there's only like a period there involved. There's not like seven exclamations like, hey, we need to talk. You're like, oh, this is really good. You don't know what it is. So what does the threat detector do? It says, okay, what data information do we have here? This is an authority figure. This person has, has some power over me. They could fire me. You know, They make decisions that affect me. And there's confrontation involved. Let's say those are three things because I don't know what it is. There's going to be a confrontational conversation of some kind. So the threat detector looks to my database. And where does it look? Well, it first says, what intel do we have on these three flavorings of things? Now, let's say in my childhood, I had caregivers who, guess what? Your caregivers are authority figures. So look, we have one match, authority figures. Then it says, caregivers, what do we have on confrontation? Like, let's say I got a bad grade in school and that meant that I was going to be physically harmed. That means love is going to be withheld. I was going to be given the message that I'm never good enough. So in a millisecond, The threat detector looks to that database and says, holy shit, this is not good. This is not good. Okay, based on the past, what did we need to do then to be safe? Because whatever we did then, we're going to do it now because we knew, no, it works. It works because you got out. So that's how we know it works. You're here now. So in a millisecond, the threat detector says, team ventral regulation, we do not need you because we're not safe. So you go off, take a break. What we need is one of the three states of self-protection. And I think let's call in our sympathetic nervous system. So this, before I I described it as team ventral is standing at my side, when I am in 
sympathetic, it's as if team sympathetic is standing in front of me. Think of it like two soldiers standing in front of you, blocking you. Their whole job is to keep danger away. So when we're in sympathetic, this state is all about the doing. My system is saying there's danger, but I think we can do something about it. And this might be familiar to lots of people listening. I'm going to try it on so I can show you. Think of it like the porridge isn't too cold. It's not just right. It's too hot. Everything in here is too much. And my system is revved up. Like you may have heard it referred to as fight or flight. So this is where anxiety, worry, frustration, fear, terror, rage, panic all live. Your thoughts are going to be racing when you're here. You're going to have tunnel vision. Like I can't focus on anything else but this thing. Oh my God, are they going to fire me? Did I do something wrong? Did I accidentally steal that money? I don't think I stole money. Could I have possibly stolen money? <laughs> what happened? I don't know. What, what went on? Did I say something to their son the other day that was not okay? Oh shit. Did they see my post on Instagram when I was partying with my friends? Fuck. Exactly. Like, oh my God, what's going on? I'm so, I, but this is so bad. This is so bad. What do I do? And I can't think of anything else and I can't sleep and I have tension in my body, my heart is racing, I'm sweating, I might notice that it's difficult to breathe, get a full breath in. This is our sympathetic system. And why am I here? Because my threat detector decided, I think this might be like that thing in the past. And so all of the sudden, my system's protecting me. Now, my boss might be very different than my caregivers. My boss might be like the most kind, loving person who has actually never made me feel less than or unworthy. But because there's enough traits like my caregivers in this scenario, my system thinks that the past is still happening and it's responding as if the past is happening. And that's just one way. And that's called dysregulation. So regulation is the yummy, awesome stuff that I talked about a minute ago when our threat detector thinks we're safe. Dysregulation is active self-protection, meaning my nervous system doesn't think I'm safe. It's trying to protect me. And really quickly, there's two other special ops team members that our threat detector can call in for dysregulation. The next one is called our dorsal vagal complex. Think of sympathetic as like a cheetah running. Go, 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 go. Lots of energy. Our dorsal vagal complex is the polar opposite. It's like a bear in hibernation. It's shut down. A bear in hibernation is not hustling. It's shutting its whole system down. So this is probably common for some of you listening. It's funny because it doesn't look extreme, but it's our most extreme form of self-protection. Because you're like, what do you mean? A bear sleeping is the most extreme? <laughs> because we go here essentially because our nervous system has decided, I don't think I can fight this thing, this danger, and I don't think we can get away from it. But what we can do is I can help you leave your body so you don't have to feel the perpetual pain of what we can't stop. Mm, so dissociation turns on. But not just dissociation. There's lots of nuance of experience in our dorsal system. But just to name, every mammal can do this. So an antelope that's about to be eaten by a lion, its system will put it here so it doesn't have to feel the pain of getting eaten alive, which I think like when I learned this, because I spent most of my life in dorsal, I was like, wow, holy shit, I'm not broken. Wow, my system is really loves me. Like it's trying to keep me safe. Would another term for that be hypoarousal? Yes, it is. But what's another important distinguisher is there's a third state of dysregulation that also involves hypoarousal that's slightly different. But yes, this would be considered hypoarousal or shutdown. A lot of people that I hear get confused is people talk about freeze as if it's this dorsal thing. And they're actually totally different. So there's one more state of dysregulation. So we talk about like the cheetah running, sympathetic, fight or flight. Then we talk about dorsal, the bear in hibernation. 
And then we have this one other one called freeze. And freeze is when you take the cheetah and the bear and you put them together at the same time. So think of it like it's equal parts of both of those states. So we have lots of energy and then met with shutdown. So those two equal and opposite forces come together and they create something called tonic immobility or think of literally like a deer in headlights. A lot of prey animals go into freeze very commonly. So what this is like is I have all this energy inside, but I can't do anything about it. So let me just go back to that example of the email from my boss. So I get the email from my boss. I'm like, holy shit, what does that mean? Oh my God. I ask all my friends, like, what do you think it means? I don't know. What do you think it means? And then I'm like, I should just write them back and find out. No, I can't do that. It's too much. No, but I need to do that, but I can't do it. But I need to do it, but I can't do it. Oh, you know what? I'm going to go organize my uh, junk drawer because I can't possibly look at this thing. It's too overwhelming to look at this thing. No, but I need to look at this thing, but I can't look at this thing. But I need to look at this thing, but I can't look at this thing. And I go back and forth in this. I have to, I can't have to, I can't have to, I can't. Rendering me stuck and frozen. So it's almost like you're trying to run, but you're in the mud. It's almost like a tire, right? That gets stuck in mud and it's just spinning, but it's not actually moving. Great metaphor. And the inclination that people have when we're here is spin the tire faster. I got to get out of this. The issue is when you try to spin the tire faster or bring more of that mobilizing energy in, like just do more, it actually brings also at the same time, brings more of that dorsal shutdown energy in. The rule of this state is to equal and opposite forces, which like if I did that to a car in mud, it would make the grooves that I'm stuck in deeper meaning it would make it harder for me to get out. That can be what happens when we're in freeze too. Okay, well, one, you've done the most phenomenal job of walking people through this. This is the images that you've provided and the way you've explained it, I think is not only digestible, but it makes sense. Like as you're talking, I am imagining myself and what I look like and feel like in each of those states. Like I could literally, as you were talking, close my eyes and be like, I know what I'm like when I'm the tire spinning and can't move. I know what I'm like when I'm in hyper arousal and I'm panicked and keyed up. I know what I'm like when I'm shut down and deadened and disconnected. I think you did such a beautiful job of describing all those. And I'm hoping listeners can re-listen and imagine yourself in each of those states. Like as Sarah's describing it, close your eyes and think of examples in which you embodied that or you were trapped in that. I want to take a quick pause to talk about our sponsor, a company called BetterHelp. It's an online therapy platform where all the therapists are licensed and accredited professionals. It's affordable. You pay a low flat fee for therapy with your therapist, and it's convenient. Do it at your own time and at your own pace, and you can communicate with your therapist as much as you want and whenever you feel is needed. And more importantly, it's effective. Thousands of people have benefited from therapy using BetterHelp, and we're really grateful to offer all of our listeners 10% off your first month. So if you're interested in receiving therapy ASAP, click the link in our show notes and you can get started and you get to save money. You know, something that you said that I'm, I'm going to circle back to, so I'm going out of order here, but that when the brain is scanning for threat, it goes back into its Rolodex or its database to say, does anything match this? Does anything replicate or seem similar to this? Okay, if so, categorize it as either safe or dangerous. You know, I think back when I was a child and there was a lot of moments where I felt trapped. I felt really trapped that I couldn't escape something that I was being forced to do. 
And I remember that food became that self-soothing mechanism. And anytime my body or my mind interpreted an experience as being trapped, food then became the mechanism to ground me. And so I think something to point out is like the brain very quickly finds solutions, whether they're maladaptive or not. Maladaptive in that they work, even though they might not be the most healthful choice. But the brain doesn't assess whether it's healthy or not. The brain just assesses what works, what helps me get out of these trauma states. Is that fair and accurate in what I'm saying and how I'm understanding you? The more that I learned about the neuroscience of all of this, the more I'm like, oh, so many of these terms are so fucked up, like dysfunctional, maladaptive, disordered. I actually don't like any of them because the thing about it is I don't think it's maladaptive at all. I think it's exquisitely adaptive. The other option might have been to not make it through. I wouldn't be able to continue to develop. My brain wouldn't continue to be able to continue to develop properly if I'm in chronic high dysregulation. That would have affected your physical body in a profound way. Our ability to make social connections, everything would have been highly affected. So these strategies are, I think, absolutely brilliant. There are ways in which we find, so when we're experiencing dysregulation, our nervous system quickly says, okay, here are the options to be with this consistently, which will be a big detriment to our ability to develop and continue on, or we can find ways to cover it up and numb it. And in the covering up and numbing it, it doesn't actually bring me into regulation. It helps me instead to not have to be with the perpetual pain of the dysregulation. So think of it like a numbing cloak. And we've all found, you know, different amazing ones. What I really hate is how our society has said, oh, some of these are very good. You work all the time and never stop doing that, which we call being work hard. Amazing. Look at the things that you have built, Steve Jobs, right? Like that's what we do. Amazing. Oh, you do heroin? Bad. Wow. You're terrible. Shame, 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 shame. But this person, ooh, not bad. Oh, you use alcohol to cope. Not bad at all. Continue to do that. Amazing. I'm making a generalization of our society. And then somebody else who you know, uses sex to cope and has sex with many, 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 many people as a way to numb themselves. Wow, what's wrong with you? You're bad and dirty and awful. The truth is they are all literally exactly the same, along with the person who incessantly fluffs their pillows and cleans their countertops. That's the same thing. It's all helped me not have to be with this thing inside of me that no one has taught me how to relieve myself of. So if we're using metaphors, because I feel like we've crushed the metaphor game today, it's almost like these, as you call them, adaptive coping mechanisms, right? Survival mechanisms. They're like the lidocaine. That's a great metaphor. Exactly. They're like the lidocaine that helps us to, oh, my tooth doesn't hurt so bad. Actually, it doesn't hurt at all. I can go about my day now. Right. And for listeners, you know, the lidocaine comes in many forms, right? It could be food, it could be sex, it could be chronic shopping, substances. I just want that to be applicable as people digest what we're saying. Yeah. As you mentioned, shopping, sex, exercise, you know, what we see a lot is people replace one with the other. Like if it was alcohol, now I do ultra marathons. I just never stop moving. They all serve the same purpose, which is to help you escape the discomfort that you're feeling. Yeah. 
if I knew what to do with the discomfort, maybe I could start being with it so that I could then get rid of it. But if I don't know how to get rid of it, who would ever want to just be with it? What a terrible idea. We're also not wired for being in discomfort. We're wired for the opposite. So we're all about tangible tools. And I think listeners have gotten a pretty almost perfect picture of regulated versus dysregulated, the different systems or special ops teams that kick into gear when we detect threat. If someone is able to recognize, I am dysregulated, I am either keyed up or I'm shut down or I'm in this mixed state and the tire's spinning and I can't get out, what are three different tools that can help someone? And I'm hoping we actually get more specific. Like if someone's in a state of hyper arousal, what's the best tool? If someone's in shutdown mode, what's the best tool? And if you're in that mixed state, what's the best tool? So one thing that is helpful in all three states, but is different in all three states is our breathing. Breathing is a direct route to regulation or dysregulation. But the point is different breathing for where we are in our nervous system. So if you are in your sympathetic nervous system, lots of energy, that's like the cheetah, go, go, go. What we want to begin doing is shorter inhalations and longer exhalations. There's lots of different ways to do this breathing. Like some of you may have heard the four, seven, eight breathing cycle. What that means is inhaling for four seconds, hold through your mouth or through your nose, rather hold your breath for seven seconds, and then exhale through your mouth. Like you're blowing out a candle. So not fast like this. The reason why we want to do that, people ask me a lot is like, well, why do we want to do that? Because when you breathe, like you're blowing out a candle, the air comes out slower and takes longer for your lungs to then the the air in your lungs. And that's what we want for regulation, but you don't have to do four, seven, eight. You could do, I'm going to inhale for four and I'm going to exhale for 10. That breathing helps to bring us into our ventral vagal complex. That's the same breathing that you want to do in the tire spinning state called freeze. When we're in freeze, we have a lot of that sympathetic energy. So when we breathe in that way, it will release the sympathetic energy and and land us closer to regulation. Now, if you're in dorsal, that is the worst thing that you could do. The reason being is because I am already immobilized. I'm a bear in hibernation. I don't want to go further into that. I don't want to bring more calming energy in. I need to bring in some mobilizing energy. There's a hierarchy to our nervous system. And that simply means that when we're in dorsal, the most extreme state of self-protection, we have to go through sympathetic to get to ventral, meaning you have to go through mobilization to get to regulation. That can happen slowly or very quickly. So when we come out of dorsal, we want to bring energy in. So a simple, simple thing you can do, two very short, equal and fast inhale and exhale, like through your mouth like this. Just two though, not an hour of a breathwork class, just two. And then after you regulate, rest and notice. Because what I just did was that increased energy in my body. That's what we want when we're in dorsal. And we want to notice after, do I feel any more here, any more present? And then after you rest and notice, you can do it again. But you know, within 30 seconds, you can do another round of that. And don't feel like, oh, I have to get it exactly equal, but two equal breaths in and out your mouth like this. Because what that does is, oh, I just brought mobilization in my body, but I don't want to bring too much in because if I bring too much in, now I'm going to have panic in my body, which is not what I wanted. I want mobilization so I can get to regulation. So that's breathing is a simple way to bring us into regulation. And then a couple other quick things is 
When we're in sympathetic, all of these states are like their own country. I use a number system to describe them, meaning one is least extreme, 10 is most, because it's nuanced. It's not all one thing. So if I am at a one to a five sympathetic, so that's least extreme to like middle of the road, that's as if, to use another example here, that's as if a lion is chasing me, but the lion is, I don't know, it's an eighth of a mile away. I'm an animal tracker and I can tell. (laughs) So it's an eighth of a mile away. My nervous system says, okay, that's dangerous, but it's not like it's like right there, or maybe it's even a quarter of a mile away. We have some distance. And so if I said to you, the lion was an eighth of a mile away, and I said, okay, hey, let's pause right now and let's orient, or let's pause right now and just close our eyes for 30 seconds, or let's do this meditation thing. You might be nervous, but you'd be like, okay, okay, we can do that. I can do that. Or let's do some tapping or swaying. You'd probably be like, okay, I can do that. If the lion was, let's say we're at a five to a 10 sympathetic, so that's heightened activation. That's like the lion is... 50 to 25 feet away from me. And imagine I said to you, hey, I saw on Instagram that meditation is the best thing for regulation. Remember, this is another thing like where people like make this overarching thing about like meditation will help you. If I had a lion 50 feet away from me and I said that to you, you'd probably be like, good luck, Sarah. You must have truly lost it. You can get eaten by the lion. I'm going to get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Right. This is why when you are at sympathetic at like a five to a 10, so this is like, I have pretty high anxiety. I'm having some panic and so on. This is cheetah mode, cheetah mode. If you try to make yourself sit down and meditate or sit down and listen to this calming recording, or even like, I'm going to sit and do some humming, or I'm going to orient to my room. You'll probably notice you get more dysregulated. And that is for good reason. Cause your nervous system is like, Sarah, you are totally lost it today. We need to go. Why aren't you going? So if you're in a heightened sympathetic, the rule is five to a 10. The rule is move. We want movement in our body. This could be going for a brisk walk or a run. This could be lifting some weights. This could be literally organize your counter, like clean things up, move around, go for a drive in your car, jump on a trampoline listen to music and let your body move how it wants to move, not manipulating your body. Shaking, letting your body shake how it might want to versus trying to manipulate it to do what you think it might want to do. So all of those kinds of things are going to be really important. When I'm working with a client who is in a heightened sympathetic, I would never do a session sitting because their nervous system's not going to be able to come out of that. So instead we might do a walking session or at least moving around the office. Uh, Very, very important. If you're at a one to a five sympathetic, things like meditating, doing a body scan, orienting, humming, swaying, tapping, all of these things are really helpful. Just important to distinguish where we are in our nervous system depicts what we should be doing. Something that is helpful in sympathetic freeze or dorsal is what I just said called orienting. So orienting is simply using our external environment to show our nervous system that we're here. So here's the thing, when you are dysregulated, but you're safe, meaning the present moment you know is actually not that dangerous, but you're dysregulated, that's a clue that your nervous system actually is not here. It's being reminded of that thing when you were five or the thing when you were 25 or the thing when you were 10. And for all intents and purposes, it's traveled time back to that. It's in 1980 or 1990 or whatever. So our job is to say, oh, hey, nervous system, you don't think I'm here. Let me show you that I, we are by using our external environment. 
This, what I want you to do when you orient is really have the intention of, oh, my nervous system doesn't think I'm here. I'm going to use all my senses that I've access to, to bring me back into the present moment. So smell five things. When I say smell five things, you don't just like pick up the candle and like, oh, that smells good. That's not orienting. I want you to notice a detail in the smell. Really try to pick up a detail of what you're smelling. Like uh, imagine you're a, a wine expert, you know, smelling the details of wine. How do you notice the subtleties? Why is that important? Because it brings you more into presence. And then hear five things. It could be the sound of the radiator or the sound of the annoying traffic outside, whatever it is. And then touch five things and really feel the detail of it and then see five things. And five things is not like, oh, a white wall behind me. That's not specific enough. Like notice well, is it milk white? Is there a scratch on the wall that's kind of bugging you that you wanted to get a magic eraser for? Notice the details. So orienting can be helpful in all three states. In freeze, that's the state where I think deer and headlights are like, as you mentioned, the tire that's stuck. When we're here, very important that you don't bring more too much energy in. Because if you bring more energy in, like I'm going to go do all these things, I'm going to go for this really long run. What can happen is you bring more dorsal in and you find yourself more stuck. So when we're here, we want to bring in small amounts of movement. So swaying, humming, tapping, all of those things are really helpful. And then also, if you're frozen around something in particular, like, oh, shit, I got to text that person back. Now I'll do it later. And I got to text that person back. Now I'll do it later. We want to make the steps towards the danger that are perceived danger tolerable. So simply make the steps smaller. That might be like, I'm going to write it down on a piece of paper, what I want to say versus writing it in a text. That's step one. Step two, I'm going to set an alarm for when I'm actually going to write it in the text form. Step three, and so on and so forth, so that you can complete them. And then lastly, in dorsal, when we're here, we're not in our bodies. So what we're trying to do is bring ourselves back into our body. So small amounts of mobilization or movement are going to be really great here. And also using things that will really help to initiate us back into our body in a powerful way, like hold some ice, run your hands under warm water, smell something pungent. Like I always have strong essential oils on my desk for people to smell. So what can help me come back into presence and using more pungent things or cold things or warm things can really help. And then lastly, for all three states, I've already said a few things, but When you think about, I want to name for people how this is innately a part of whom we are. We have the ability to regulate and our systems know how. They just have to be reminded. For example, if I had a baby that was in distress, they're dysregulated. What is the natural inclination of someone who has enough attunement to, oh, the baby's in distress. I pick up the baby. I put the baby onto my chest. Guess what? This is where your sympathetic nervous system lives. We know to do that instinctively. Then what do I do? I start to sway and I tap on their back. Well, guess what you're tapping on when you're tapping on their back? You're tapping on the backside of their sympathetic nervous system, which is where they are in distress. And then I maybe start to hum. Humming talks to your nervous system. The vibration lets your nervous system know that we are in safety. And so doing this simple thing, you can do this for yourself, tapping on your chest, swaying and humming are incredible resources for regulation. And then I want to leave you with one more that works in all three that comes from Peter Levine's body of work. 
He's the creator of somatic experiencing. Something I did say at the very beginning is that our nervous systems live in our body and where a verbal language is not computable. And that means that our nervous system does not understand cognition. It understands somatics, which is the felt sense of our body, which is why if you're on the cusp of a panic attack and you say, like I did for many years, Sarah, what the fuck? Calm down. You're totally fine. It's fine. It's fine. You're totally okay to go to the social event. You're like, stop freaking out. Everybody here is really nice. And I try to rationalize myself out of it. It never helped. In fact, my panic usually got worse. And that's because I'm trying to speak a verbal language to a system that literally can't hear me, which is why you can't talk your way out of shame. You can't talk your way into why your partner is safe and they're not going to cheat on you and leave like your father did, no matter how many times you try to say that. It lives in our body. So there's certain things we can do that talks to the nervous system. And they seem strange and weird at first, like the sound I'm about to give you. But no, it's so complex in what it's doing. Because when we're in our sympathetic nervous system or our dorsal system or freeze, the nerve endings are lit up. So think of it like they're constricted and they're, they're lit up. If I can make particular vibrational sounds, for example, it begins to release, speak to the nerve endings, which releases them. That then cues up to our brain, the coast is clear, we're actually safe. So what we're about to do is going to sound super weird, but I want you to know it's very complex in what it's doing in terms of our system talking. This sound, V-O-O is the particular sound, is also particularly helpful with coming out of all three states of dysregulation. And when we make the sound, we want to make it in a low register, lower than our speaking voice. So instead of making it up here in my chest like this, that's really all in my chest and in my sinuses. What I want to do is see if I can send it down into my viscera, my stomach space, and make it as deep as I can. I'm going to do it first. So I want to drop the sound as deep as I possibly can. Feel the vibration in your stomach or imagine it in your stomach. And the way that I like to do it is a hand on my chest, a hand on my stomach, and I'll do it fully once through right now. But I like to do it one to three times. Don't do more than three. And then rest and notice, meaning is anything different? So here's what it would be. Taking a normal in-breath and then exhaling till there's no air. So like this. I would do that again. And then when I'm done, I would just rest and notice. Is anything different? Do I feel any more here? So a lot of somatic exercises are very much like what I just did. They seem strange and silly and weird. And how the fuck is this going to help my whole life and the problem in my relationship? But I promise you it will because it begins to reshape your nervous system. Oh, Sarah. I mean, I'm absolutely blown away by everything you've said. And I know without even needing to poll our listeners that there is so much magic to everything you've explained and so much transformation because now people can walk away understanding these different dysregulated states, understand them that it's not anything wrong with you, that this is evolution. This is something that is intended to protect us, to keep us safe, to keep us alive, and that there are real tools that can help you move out of these states and back into your feel-good state or your window of tolerance and that no one is stuck or trapped or fucked 
that like there are real things that can help you get out of these states that really cause so much chaos and so much disconnection and loneliness. And there's really hope when it comes to our nervous system. So thank you so much for joining us. My gratitude is abundant. As Victoria would say to everyone, big, big love. And we will catch everyone later. 